Hello, everybody, and welcome to a holiday edition of an Ed Surge Extra podcast. So, Michael, when I say lynda.com, what does that make you think of? Oh, that makes me think of a mug that we have in the office that has a nice portrait of a woman with bangs and she has glasses and it's the biggest mug. So I always pick it because I can get the most tea in the mug. Uh, okay, well, that's a good start, but I'm thinking more money-wise. What do you think of when you think of, of lynda.com and money? Oh, well, lynda.com was the uh, the biggest ed tech purchase of the year. They were purchased by LinkedIn for cash and stock valued at the time of $1.5 billion. That's no small fee of money. No, it is not. Nope. So earlier this year, back in April, Linda and her co-founder and husband, Bruce, stopped by our studio to talk with our very favorite CEO, Betsy Corcoran, about what it's like to build an ed tech company from scratch to the biggest ed tech deal of the year. This is Betsy Corcoran of EdSurge, and I'm really pleased today to have a special podcast with Linda Wyman and Bruce Haven of lynda.com. Full disclosure, Bruce and Linda are investors in EdSurge, for which we are very grateful. But we have lured them into the very fancy EdSurge studio today to talk a little bit about the trajectory that lynda.com has been on for the past 20 years. Uh, When the deal with LinkedIn was announced, the thing that was so notable to me is that lynda.com really was EdTech before EdTech was cool. So here today, we're going to talk a little bit about how it got started, some of the moments along the path, and maybe a little bit about what Linda and Bruce are thinking of going forward. So Linda and Bruce, share a story from the beginning of lynda.com. You guys were bootstrapped again before bootstrap was cool. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we started before, I guess, I guess we started when a lot of VC money was being raised in the web design industry and we didn't raise any. So I guess that, that, I don't know. Did you try? No, it didn't. It frankly didn't even occur to us. Um, We were of a generation perhaps that never had that option to, you know, to go out and pitch VCs. And we also weren't in Silicon Valley. So we had a little nest egg from book royalties and it was $20,000. And that was what we used to start a school. The initial incarnation of lynda.com was a physical school and people came from all over the world to take a workshop, a one week workshop. And um, it grew in popularity and success. And within a couple of months we'd paid ourselves back and we've actually been profitable ever since. We, that was the entire investment in Linda. Bruce, talk a little bit about what design has meant for lynda.com because I think one of the things that many people in the world have found really compelling is how great the design is, how good it looks, how classy it feels. Well, I'm glad you think it's good and classy, but we're trying to teach designers and we're trying to teach UX and UI and photographers and motion graphics designers. So to have poor design was not an option. It would probably be a very bad idea. And I don't know if you could start a company like this without design. So it was always at the center of what we were doing. Was there ever a bad design that you had to nix? I've done many things. And sometimes I'll do things and Linda will go, I don't like that. And I'll go, I like that. And uh, in the end, it would probably be, well, it probably wouldn't be how I had it. 
But uh, yes, there, there's a lot of good and bad, but you know, there's a lot of mistakes made along the way. Right. Now, Linda, I know that, as you said, the company has been profitable from the beginning, but there was a moment, particularly in the early days, when there was kind of a financial crunch, right? And there was a, a time when time got tough and you actually had to do a layoff early on. Tell us a little bit about that and about what that meant for really running the company. Yeah, I mean, we were very charmed in the beginning because it took off like a rocket and it was during the dot-com boom and nobody really understood that it was a bubble. And most of our customers were involved with that even though we were not personally taking VC money. So when the economy had a downturn in 2001, there was a contentious election. We had 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers. People stopped wanting to travel, budgets dried up, and suddenly our attendance dropped off completely to our school. So we had uh, built up to be about 35 employees and we had to lay off two thirds of our staff, which Ouch. was very painful, which I'm sure as a business owner, you can hardly imagine and it was unimaginable to us. But it's one of those things that goes with the territory of owning a company. There are, you know, kind of like being a parent, it's, you have all the fun, wonderful, charming moments, and then you have the moments where you have a tan you know, tantrum or you have to be the disciplinarian or whatever. And so, you know, there's the good and the bad, and that was definitely one of the hardest things that we ever had to do. And we, not only did we lay off two-thirds of our staff, but we really cut back on what we were doing, and including we stopped having the live classrooms. And that was the impetus for putting the lessons online, which we had already been creating as VHS tapes, which we had done actually in response to our book publisher not allowing us to write about certain topics. And so instead of, you know, taking no for an answer, we started to create VHS tapes. And we probably had about 20 different tapes that we digitized and put online, and that was the beginning of the online training library. So once again, using the constraints that surrounded you as an impetus for thinking about how the business should change and grow. Yes. Look, working your way around problems. That's yes. something that we're very familiar with here at EdSurge. Um, let's jump, the, the analogy of raising a child is very good. Uh, I will confess that in my family, my husband and sons have started to refer to EdSurge as our third child. Um, <laughs> talk about adolescence. Adolescence is challenging in children and in companies. Yes. Was there a moment in sort of the middle years of lynda.com when you faced some tough business challenges that you could share? Uh, I would say many tough business challenges, but I think the key one is when you start small like we did, it was just the two of us and we kept building it brick by brick and adding people. Eventually you get to a certain size where you can't have a flat hierarchy and you have to insert some level of, uh, you know, of different infrastructure in, in terms of where people report, who's in charge, who's leading different initiatives. And I think that was really tough on some of the early Linda employees because it was so scrappy and everybody had so much responsibility. It was so creative and so fun. And then as it got bigger and bigger, like any company, it gets a little more bureaucratic and a little bit more political. And that isn't for everybody. So there are some people who I think would really lament the days of it being this more family run, really, you know, flat organization. And other people who've loved the experience of it getting larger and learning all the different things along the way that you get to learn from people who come in and, and know more and have more experience. I think one of the crucial things early on was making decisions to focus. 
and not do everything we could because it was the game of like, oh, well, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And we were just bridging out and doing everything. And it was good to get noticed, but it wasn't a great long-term business decision. So I think one of the keys to our success earlier on was both trying out new things, but later coming back to say, we're going to focus and this is what we're about and this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. But it took many years to get alignment around that focus. What was something that you stopped doing? Um, well, we stopped doing conferences and we stopped doing books and classroom. in the classroom. In the classroom, classroom. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, there was an inflection point where the online library started to take off. In the very beginning, it actually cannibalized our sales because we were selling the VHS tapes for more than a one-month subscription. And there was a time where we needed all these different revenue streams because we were so scrappy and just trying everything. But when the online library started to take off and hit critical mass and started generating more revenue than anything else, there was a moment where we, you know, we had to make a decision, is this what we're going to be known for? And it also was a differentiator. In the beginning, there were lots of other companies that had in-person training centers and ran conferences and wrote books. That wasn't a differentiator. Doing the online uh, instruction, the way we were doing it, was, was really something that we had very few competitors in our space. So focusing on what the differentiators are really mm -hmm. critical, and as you said, focusing too. We confront that too, actually, at EdSurge every single day of the week. Um, so let's jump to now the last couple of years. Talk a little bit about what it's meant to have investors come into the company. Well, we've been really fortunate in that we had so many suitors who wanted to invest in us because we were profitable, as, as I said, and so we were able to be extremely selective and we're quite happy with our choices and we have really enjoyed the experience that those investors have brought to us. What I think was interesting, and it's even interesting now with the LinkedIn deal, is that the market and the press seems to love to give attention to companies that are taking money and raising rounds and you know, getting great valuations and things like that. And that was, a, you know, something that was really unfamiliar to us. We had never built the business with that in mind. So it was an unexpected consequence to have so many investors wanting to invest in us. And there were just years and years where we didn't know what we would do with that money and we didn't have a real strategy to be able to leverage it in a, in a way that we saw that would, that would, you know, be valuable to us. So when we finally made the decision what was kind of bittersweet was just all of the attention and then the attention is for the round and the raise and the price and all of these things where we're really passionate about the impact and what we're doing as a company and the, and the what we're sharing, the learning that we're able to impart and the careers that have been changed and the lives that have been changed. Like that is the part that has made us excited and that's the part that we haven't gotten nearly the attention for. I think if I look at the last two years, you know, we're looking at taking rounds much earlier than that, uh, maybe as far as six or seven years ago. And, you know, we were looking at valuations of $20 million as our company back then. And I think my looking back on all this, I'm probably happier we didn't take money earlier because if we took money earlier, it would have changed the trajectory of the company, its impact. And I think the fact that we held out longer made it more valuable. I think there's something interesting about taking money later as a late stage. 
You control your destiny more. I, I think so. So, uh, you know, in fact, giving so much up for so little so early uh, would have been a mistake for us. So um, I think we did the right thing. Great. So, Linda, you've changed your glasses. You've changed your hair. What's ahead for you and Bruce? We're really excited about our next chapter. We have a lot of ideas. However, we have been running a marathon for 20 years, and we're also really excited to take a little breather and not make any giant decisions right now. But I hear Bruce has a lot of ideas that he's been cooking up. And I've been disproving a lot of my own ideas. <laughs> but, but, but that said, you know, I, I think there's something about just kind of renewing and refreshing and, uh, you know, it doesn't mean we, we're not stopping or we're not working or we're not doing other things. I think it's just a matter of refocusing again. I have to ask you one last question, Linda, because the company was named after you. Do you recommend that people name companies after themselves? Hmm, boy, what a great question. I, you know, there are times where it's made me uncomfortable because I, I never realized how big Linda.com would be. But I also think it's, it. I'm proud that it represents a person, that there's a person who's stood behind the quality. And I'm also proud that it has a female name because there are so few tech companies that bear the name of women and just sort of very clearly this is a, a female founder and co-founder. And um, and I think that's been, it's been special and personal. And I think a lot of people, it kind of surprised me in the beginning that so many people wanted to call it lynda.com because um, Lynda.com was the name of a website that I had purchased, but I didn't realize it was going to be the name of the company. And in the beginning, we were trying to call it other things, but everyone referred to it as Lynda.com. So it was, it just seemed that the rest of the world wanted it to be that. And now I'm, you know, I'm proud, but it is kind of weird, to be honest, at times. Bruce, has it been odd to share Linda with the world this way? Well, it's funny to be a co-founder of this, because everything, all the awards go to Linda. So I, I don't think I have any, I don't know if I have one award, but uh, it's, it's okay. I, I'm, I always say I'm the dot. I'm the, I'm the dot and the dot com. Uh, but I've, I've really had a lot of impact on the business decisions. And for me, a lot of this was actually creating business around Linda's desire to teach where there was no situation to teach. Uh, how can I or others help keep up with her passions and give her these various avenues? And uh, it's just been literally a 20-year marathon to keep up with her. And uh, I'm glad she's willing to slow down a little bit, at least for the next couple of months. Well, I suspect that you won't slow down too much. Um, thank you, Linda. Thank you, Bruce. I suspect the next venture may have uh, lindaandbruce.com or bruce.net or something like that in there. And we look forward to hearing about that when you're ready to launch that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Betsy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful New Year's. We'll be back in a couple weeks with brand new Ed Surge podcasts. Until then, I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Mary Jo Matta. Thanks for listening.